93.3 WBT, hour number two of the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I have been informed uh, via Twitter direct message, so you know it's true, uh, that the pronunciation of MX is pronounced mixed. Mixed. That's the I. Mixed. So instead of Mr. or Mrs. or Ms., it's Mixed. So it would be mixed calendar. But that's weird because when it's Z, or I'm sorry, when it's X-E, it's pronounced G. Right? But then I've also seen the Z, and that, is that just Z and Zer? Oh, my goodness. I, I cannot keep them all straight. I'm sorry. I know I don't mean it like that. It's not, okay. I didn't mean straight like that straight. I meant, like, correct. Okay. No, wait, I don't mean to say that one's incorrect or not. Okay. By the way, have you seen the uh, the great, uh, the great, Twitter exodus occurring? Well, no, I haven't either. But um, I mean, I'm on Twitter all the time. But supposedly, all of the uh, all of the uh, the gatekeepers of truth and the defenders of democracy they are all abandoning Twitter because you just can't be too sure. Just out of an abundance of caution and all of that, you know, we don't like Elon Musk, even though we bought his cars. Um, they don't like Elon Musk allowing Twitter to be a free speech platform, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. It's amazing. Like, nobody talks to these people, these hall monitors, and that's what they are. They're hall monitors. And nobody nobody ever challenges them because the only people that, you know, professionally speaking, are in the business of challenging folks like this would be the hall monitors themselves. That's the professional class that does that right there that's their gig they're supposed to be i mean they're supposed to be hall monitoring against the halls of power and the people who roam those but a lot of times i should point out they do that on occasion when the people roaming those halls of power tend to be of a particular political persuasion but they've also weaponized social media and turned their hall monitoring prowess upon you know randos like you know, cat turd. Not kidding. That's actually a, a guy's name. And apparently Elon Musk follows him and listens to him. <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> well, he does some pretty funny memes. I will say that. And that's what Elon Musk was all about. Elon Musk. I get the sense that Elon Musk simply liked Twitter to be a fun place. He enjoyed seeing the back and forth and the, the cutting up and the ribbon and the jokes and the, the memes and the gifs. Because what it was that got him interested to buy Twitter, do you remember originally? It was the banning of the Babylon Bee. It's a, a, a parody satirical website. And that's what got him interested, to try to save Twitter as a free speech platform and to take it private. By the way, he's going at it right now with the founder of the website Semaphore, which I didn't even know existed until... Uh, the other day when all of the stuff came out on uh, Sam Bankman Fried, which I've been informed uh, by via another direct message, which so you can know it's true then. Um, well, it's merely a suggestion, which is I should not call him Sam Bankman Fried. And uh, this uh, messenger also knew that I did not want to refer to him as Bankman Freed until or unless he's like acquitted of anything. So, he suggested, this person suggested that I go with Sam the Bank. I like it. Sam the Bank. I think that's what we're going to go with. By the way, 
in less than an hour, we're going to talk to Congressman Patrick McHenry. Uh, McHenry is going to be uh, in charge of the House Financial Services Committee, which has promised an investigation into the whole meltdown of the cryptocurrency trader FTX and uh, Sam the Bank. So that should be interesting. We got him at two o'clock. So stick around for that. But uh, on to, uh, back to the Twitter thing. Have you heard of this other platform called Mastodon? Mastodon. I have not. I did not hear. Uh, like, well, I heard about it a couple weeks. Well, maybe like a week or so ago. When the journalisters, you remember that one? Journalist. For folks who may not recall, journalist was a, it was a list serve. And it was up in like, I think it was out of D.C. And all of the, you know, it's sort of a who's who of journalists, reporters inside the Beltway, but also in the big, you know, power centers, uh, New York and Boston, or what do they call the Isella Corridor, you know, but also out in California. I mean, these were, you know, left coast managerial class, uh, you know, the, the new class, the, you know, the state uh, spokespeople, if you will. Uh, and they were all in on this list serve. And you could see, I think it was the Daily Caller that exposed this. They got into that list serve and they published a lot of the a lot of the messages, which, of course, you know, outrage ensues among the journal listers because that, that's what it was called. Journal list. Get it? Journal list. Anyway, the uh, so the journal listers were all very upset about this because you know these were our private communications. How dare you disclose this information to the public? And Daily Caller thought, well, I think the public has a right to see that all of these journalists inside the the corridors of power are coordinating their stories. They're talking about not just what to cover, but how to cover the stories that they choose to. And so they got exposed for that. Then along comes Twitter. And by the way, there are Slack channels as well. Slack is another messaging app. You got WhatsApp as well. Um, And Twitter was useful for these reporters, uh, these journalisters for a long time as well. The rise of social media gave them different uh, platforms to engage in essentially the same behavior, which was one of the things that actually I wanted to see, because even though I know that there are uh, group chats that I don't, that I'm not privy to that. I don't see, I know that I can see patterns emerge in the, in the Twitter matrix because the way I have my, my Twitter set up, it's I've got all these different columns with different hashtag settings and searches. And so as things pop into the into the feeds, it, it scrolls and I equate it to the matrix, you know, with like the like the numbers kind of cascading down the screen when. All right. So that's what it kind of looks like. And when you start seeing the same stories or the same headlines from different publications, you start seeing the connections, the dots start aligning. And it's like, oh. Okay, well, obviously, a whole bunch of reporters got on journalist or whatever the modern in, uh, incarnation of it is. They got on journalist, and they are now coordinating a message. They're putting out a narrative that they want to take hold. So Mastodon, I noticed about a week or so ago, is all of a sudden getting a lot of attention. A lot of journalists are like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Mastodon. Oh, it's fantastic. We love Mastodon. Oh, my gosh, it's brilliant. It's going to be everything Twitter never was. I'm not going to Mastodon. I have learned my lesson. I went to Gab and Parler and Getter and MeWe and, you know, went back to MySpace. Just kidding. I didn't do that. But 
I'm, I, I don't need any more social media accounts. Okay. I don't need any more. I don't need any more emails. I don't need any more two factor authentication. I don't need any more of that. So I'm not going to Mastodon. But I am interested to hear, you know, how it's going because this is where all the lefties are rushing to try to create their new echo chamber. Think about that. They're so upset at, at have, and by the way, you know, Twitter hasn't changed its block function, its list functions. You can still mute people, you can block them, you can create lists and curate only the people you want to follow. You can tailor your your Twitter experience to be whatever it is you want, and that's not good enough. It's not good enough for these leftist reporters. What they require is conformity. They want the platform to moderate all dissenting opinion. They don't want to see your thoughts. They don't want to hear your opinions on stuff. And rather than be subjected to some random thought penetrating the bubble that they have constructed for themselves on Twitter, what are they doing? They're all rushing to Mastodon. Slight problem, Mastodon isn't really ready for the stampede. And uh, they got some problems to work out. Ed Morrissey, writing at hotair.com, headline, journalist run Mastodon social media as impressive as you would imagine. So he says, the New York Times took a closer look at the new Mastodon instant messaging platform to which reporters of all stripes, but mainly progressives, have recently decamped. I mentioned this the other day. There is a there's one McClatchy reporter that I asked about this because I saw that they had posted on Twitter. I'm checking out Mastodon. I don't really understand it very well. And I said, hey, do you have a Gab Parler or Getter accounts? And they were like, no, this is my first foray to a you know, non-Twitter platform. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it tells me all I need to know there, right? Because seriously, if you worried about free speech on Twitter, why wouldn't you have set up other accounts in other places? See, it's a, it, you can see who is making the, uh, well, you can see who's saying it, that they're going to go to Mastodon. And you get an idea of what they seek. And what they seek is content moderation. They seek to suppress voices with whom they disagree because that's what Mastodon promises them, while at the same time offering a bit of an oxymoron, uh, offering free speech. It's kind of silly. We'll get to that. All right, so the selling point for the service is it's decentralized as well as its collaborative moderation, at least theoretically. Because in practice, it looks a lot like a confused mess where journalists eat their own rather than practice tolerance, including at uh, one node, they call it, journa.host. J-O-U-R-N-A, journa host. Oh my gosh, they're so smart, like with journalist, and now it's journa host, get it? This And this node is apparently funded in large part by the journalism school at City University of New York. Journa Host received $12,000 in funding from the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY Toe Knight Center at CUNY's 
Toe Knight Center. It's a very long, very, very long name there. My goodness, what if you got to put that on a business card? Anyway, it's been so far used to pay server and domain registration fees. It's only twelve grand, so a thousand a month. So you're paying for servers, you're paying for, uh, you know, subscription services, domain services. Okay, but this is just a server for journalists, and they're now as. Ed Morrissey says they're eating their own. It has led to accusations on Twitter, of course, (laughs) that the server is an attempt by the moderators to gatekeep their peers. I, for one, am shocked. I, I could not believe that journalists would behave in such a fashion. The gatekeepers would gatekeep themselves when they have no targets upon which to inflict their gatekeepery? Really? I know, it's just an amazing turn of events. In my view, that is the problem. Because they put you in these little silos. And the only people you can really do damage to are the people in your silos. So, one guy who ran into this, Mike Pesca of The Gist. He's a, it's a podcast. And he had the temerity to link to the New York Times. I know, right? Well, there you go. No, he links to the New York Times and the story that reported on rising health concerns over the use of puberty blockers. So essentially the story I did yesterday. This is one of the things that also I feel needs to be pointed out that folks in talk radio don't do enough, myself included. I'm as guilty of this uh, as anyone, that we don't do this enough, which is to point out that like, we are the original social media platform here. We really are. You can call in, we talk, we have all these different ideas, you're not going to get censored. Well, unless you call in and you're like 9-11 truther, then like you can call some other show, because it's my show. It's my feed. I'm going to kick you off. But we are the original social media platform here. And we talked to, I brought up these topics yesterday. We did almost the full three hours on all of the latest developments in the transgender, we also you know talked about the Colorado Springs uh, uh attack, but we also talked about uh, transgender issues and some of the medical professionals that are now having second thoughts about these treatments. So this podcaster guy, Mike Pesca, he sends out a link to the New York Times article and he says, careful, thorough reporting. So he even praise the New York Times reporting on it. Ah, but the article itself, it points to rising health concerns over the use of puberty blockers because, I don't know, maybe there's some rising health concerns over the use of the blockers. I, I'm just guessing, just spitballing on that one. This brings up the inherent contradictions between Mastodon's decentralization and the expectation of its culture that moderation is, go, is going to be both more emphatic and viewpoint defined. This is what they want. You notice all of these journalists that are all flocking over to Mastodon. Isn't Mastodon an extinct elephant-looking thing? Isn't that what it... Wasn't that a Mastodon? Or is that a fish? Is it an extinct prehistoric fish? I forget. Anyway, inherent contradictions. They're touting this decentralization model. Look at us. It's decentralized. So, like, you can you can move in and out of these silos, and it's all decentralized, so there's no, like... Big, heavy hands coming down on everybody, and they're like, ooh, I like it. Oh, it's like it's like crowdsourcing. Oh, this is it's like democratization. 
But on the other hand, they want a more emphatic and viewpoint-defined moderation ecosystem. What does that mean? Well, that means you got to have something that's the opposite of decentralized. You need to have some top-down, right, algorithmically, I don't know, uh, created and enforced mechanism that shuts down certain articles and thoughts and words and and accounts and all that. Here's the here's part of the problem over there. This is amazing. No content or user can be banned from the network entirely. Okay? So that's one of the one of the things like you can you're not going to get banned permanently from Mastodon. You're just going to get banned from the individual nodes, right? You can't get into any of the nodes. So you'll be able to basically see everything but not be able to, I guess, participate. So you can't tweet at somebody, but you'll still be able to see stuff. But if you get go, but if you go into one of the nodes and you get booted out of the node, then they can ban you from the node and then you can't see it. So, so you, you end up creating these little pockets, these, these little chat rooms where as soon as you run afoul of whoever it is that's doing the moderating with the heavy hand and such and the viewpoint discrimination, Then you get booted out, and now you have less access than the people who are just lurking, right? They're just just reading your stuff. They're just reading the node. Much of the dominant culture of Mastodon, at least before the recent influx of Twitter users, has been supportive of fairly heavy moderation, especially of users and content that is viewed as far right, like the New York Times, (laughs) obviously. Mastodon looks like the worst of both worlds. For those hoping to police debate, they can succeed in shutting down an account for perceived injustices, but only in their own collective or node, while accounts at other collectives still retain full access to the overall platform. Unless the activists really like a good game of whack-a-mole, the upside for Mastodon looks looks very limited over the more centralized Twitter, even with laxer standards. Nate Silver from 538. He said on Sunday afternoon, I saw him when he tweeted this out, and he said, Mastodon seems like a honey trap for hall monitor personality types. Honestly, if Elon gets all the hall monitors to migrate to Mastodon, that might be his greatest contribution towards the betterment of humanity. I totally agree with Nate Silver. Talk 1110 and 973-WBT, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. I'm going to get to a couple different stories here, but first on the Mastodon migration from Twitter of the lefties. Let me get Spencer on. Hello, Spencer. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? Hey, I'm well. What's going on? Okay, Mastodon is kind of like an open source kind of thing. Uh, anybody can build a server and run Mastodon on it. Mm-hmm. But you're in charge of that server and that server only. Mm-hmm. For instance, you could make a Mastodon server that is uh, concerned with green uh, and blue frogs. And if anybody gets on there and has a, a, a bad thing about green and blue frogs, uh, you can ban them from 
that server, but you can't ban them from any uh, anybody else's server. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and, they have like and, these little silos. Yeah, and and you could put together a server. I mean, it's, it's fairly cheap for for five to eight thousand dollars. You can build a server that's going to be kind of robust and ready to uh, take on the world. Uh, for instance, I could I could make one uh, about. Um, variable stars, and anybody gets on there and has a problem with my interpretation of variable stars, I could ban them from the server. Right, but I can't ban them from the green and blue frogs. But why, why go through that kind of effort when you can just get a website for four bucks? Or a Facebook for page same, for free? For a Facebook reason, For the same reason that you can't communicate with anybody else on that website Tree can. Is, uh commenting on that website. Sure you can. You comment. Yeah, you comment on the comment section. If the uh, if the uh, owner of that website allows that. Well, that right. That but that's that's the point, though. I mean, obviously, I mean, you you gave me a model yeah. of a server uh, for the frogs, and so why couldn't I you just buy to, a, a domain to. name for four or five bucks? Uh, I love frogs, and then you know, open up the comments, and anybody can then create the uh, profile. They could. Comment on my on on my blog posts. You have to build a comment section on a website. No, you, you don't, don't have to build. You don't have to build a comment section on a, um, a Mastodon. No, you don't have to build a comment section on a website. It's all widgets now. Trust me, I've I've done but it. Ha- I, I've done it too. Yeah, uh, so you don't build it anymore. I was right. in computers for thirty years. Right, so you don't build it anymore. There are third party. Uh, platforms that run the whole thing. You could use Discus, whatever. You just slap the widget in there, and there's your comment section. Now, if you want to moderate it, you can moderate. You could ban people, that sort of thing. I mean, you can get in, more involved in it if you actually want to go more hands-on. Absolutely. But why? I mean, you just said for five to eight grand, you could have a robust server, and that's just like I don't understand why you would shell out that kind of money. I mean, you could run a Facebook group for that for free. So what's yeah, the attraction? You get, you get banned. You get banned from Facebook by the head honcho. Not, but these are leftists. They're not worried about getting banned. They banning themselves when they get over on that. Uh, on Mastodon, uh, right? They're right, <laughs> which is ironic. But they don't think that anything that they is, say is worthy of banning people. Right? No, but they don't think they're bannable. They don't think the things that they say or do are worth a ban. They want the bans to go on everybody else, which is why I don't understand you wouldn't go to like a Facebook group or just register a domain and you know build your own website or whatever instead of using these servers in order to to try to you know insulate yourself and then you got the cost. I mean, to me, that's the big barrier is the cost. But then the other one, and look, I like I've I'm a gamer, so I I recognize when you build, you know, you create a server, the server's house someplace, somebody has to uh, pay for that, so people chip in. So yes, you could do like a Patreon thing, but th- there you go. There's another one. What about Patreon or Locals? Right, you got all of these other platforms that are there for way cheaper. Actually, I could put an instance of Mastodon on my desktop computer, mm-hmm. but uh, it would be susceptible to. Uh, uh, denial of service attacks because it's not big enough and robust enough. Well, yes, I have heard that it is not uh, what, it, that it's clunky, and I'm not a computer guy, but right, it's clunky and and it doesn't it doesn't function very well at this stage. But they're like, you know, we're we're still building; it's going to get better. So who knows? 
I just I, I don't understand the benefit of the model. I, that that's the thing that gets me because it, it sounds like they're just creating essentially a room, a chat room that that technology already exists at a way cheaper price point. I don't know. Well, you never you, you never can figure out what these lefties are, are, no, that's are doing. True. That's true too. That is a fair point, Spencer. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hi, buddy. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm not even going to set up an account to go even, to even go test it to find out. I'm not even going to. Don't care enough about it. Um. All right. Have you heard? Do you know who the Chrisleys are? Do you know who they are? You don't know who the Chrisleys? He does. The millennial knows. <laughs> Bernie. Chris does not. Bernie knows. Chrisley. Well, because the Chrisleys come on after some show. I don't know what show it is. I think it may be a reality show. It may have been Bachelor or something. Does she watch Bachelor, Bachelorette, any of this? Um, I don't know. But Chrisley Knows Best is the name of the show. And this show, I would only see like a little part. Oh, I think it comes on. I think it may have been on one of the, after one of the uh, the 600-pound sisters or My 600-pound Life or 1,000-pound sisters or Hoarders, like one of those shows. Because that's kind of a reality show. And Krista and I will watch that to get motivated. And so I think Chris Lee Knows Best com- would come on after that, I think. This over-the-top flamboyant guy, very, he's sort of effeminate, but he's married and he's got his family there. And they're, at, they're down in Georgia. And I remember seeing the promos for the show and then, like, you know, the DVR would catch, like, the first minute of it. And so you would see some of the, the beginning of the show. And I remember watching it thinking, what is this person famous for? And apparently, nothing. <laughs> Not even a sex tape like the Kardashians were. Right, that's I mean, this is just the guy who says he's rich and the family, they live this rich lifestyle and he's like, so over the top crazy or whatever. I don't know. I didn't watch the shows. Apparently all a scam, all a scam. Dude got sentenced to 12 years in prison. His wife got sentenced to seven this was on the USA Network's uh, Chrisley Knows Best show. Found guilty in June of fraud, tax evasion, and conspiracy to defraud America because they didn't pay their taxes. Mastodon is an extinct elephant. <laughs> Monica says, get it? Get it? So edgy. I, I, no, I actually don't get it. An extinct elephant. Why would you pick an extinct elephant? Oh, is that like an anti-Republican thing? No wonder all the lefties are going over there. Redleg1989 says, Pete, why is it that people go to prison for not paying their tax? Why isn't Al Sharpton in prison? Fair point. Fair. Totally fair. Uh, So reality television couple Todd and Julie Chrisley were sentenced to years in prison 
five months after they got found guilty of federal fraud charges and hiding their wealth from tax authorities. Todd Chrisley was sentenced to 12 years. Julie Chrisley was sentenced to seven. The couple known for their USA Network series Chrisley Knows Best were found guilty in June of fraud, tax evasion, and conspiracy to defraud the United States by a federal jury in Atlanta. They were accused of conspiring to defraud Atlanta-area banks out of more than $30 million in fraudulent loans in a scheme that went on for years. Their accountant was also found guilty of tax fraud for filing false corporate tax returns on their behalf. Julie Chrisley was uh, also found guilty of wire fraud and obstruction of justice. The celebrity couple was accused of submitting false documents to request bank loans and using a production company to hide income from the IRS. All the while going on TV and talking about how rich they were. Which, to me, is not a great plan. Or maybe maybe they were like, you know, hiding out here right in the open. You know, we fooled them all, chief. Right? Maybe like that. Prosecutors said that while the Chrisleys were earning millions from their show and other entertainment ventures, they evaded paying Todd's 2009 delinquent taxes and failed to timely file tax returns from 2013 through 2016. The Chrisleys have built an empire based on the lie that their wealth came from dedication and hard work. The jury's unanimous verdict sets the record straight. Todd and Julie Chrisley are career swindlers who have made a living by jumping from one fraud scheme to another, lying to banks, stiffing vendors, and evading taxes at every corner. Also, their homes are going to go on the, uh, on the market. Judge Eleanor Ross of the U.S. District Court in Atlanta ordered the reality stars to pay $17.2 million in restitution. But they, the fraud scheme was somewhere like twice that amount, $36 million. Sources tell the New York Post they'll, uh, they're likely going to have to give up their two mansions in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, look, I am not one to begrudge a person for owning multiple mansions. I mean, I don't begrudge my producers for owning like seven of them between the two of them. I don't begrudge people for that. But does it make a lot of sense to have two mansions in the same city? That seems a bit, right? Like, that's just, it doesn't seem efficient. How are you possibly able, I mean, and these aren't, I mean, they're mansions. It's not like, hey, I have like a, a one-bedroom apartment here, and then I've got a two-bedroom uh, uh, apartment or, or a house over there. Or, hey, I bought two houses next to each other. They're both like three bedrooms, one's for one people come over. No, 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 no. These are mansions. These are huge places. So in 2016, when they first moved to the Music City, they purchased a Bell Mead four-bedroom home, four-bedroom, for $1.6 million. That is a 5,200-square-foot home. It is now estimated to be worth $2.88 million. All right, so that's the first home. And there's only, I think there's, there's mom and dad, and they got uh, three kids, I believe. But one of them, the son, is like 26. There's a 16-year-old, and then there's a younger one. All right, I'm sorry, no. Yeah, they have a 16-year-old, a 26-year-old, and a 25-year-old. 
So this would have been 2016, so six years ago. So all of these, so it was like 10 years old, 20 and 19. So, okay, maybe you needed another place because you, you needed another bedroom. You only got a, th- it's a four bedroom, right? So although there are only four of you, but whatever, maybe you needed a place for people to stay. I, I don't know. Three years later, they buy another home. This one is in the Brentwood neighborhood. It's $3.37 million, now worth like twice that amount. That's a six-bedroom, nine-bath. And they tried to flip it but couldn't sell it. It is 13,200 square feet. Why, Why do you have two mansions in the same city? That, to me, is the most egregious part of this story. Seriously. It doesn't make any sense. Um... Prosecutors say that the couple submitted fake documents to banks, managed to secure more than $30 million in fraudulent loans, and once the scheme fell apart, they walked away from their responsibility to repay the loans by declaring bankruptcy. While in bankruptcy, they started their reality show and flaunted their wealth and lifestyle to the American public. When they began making millions from the show, they hid the money from the IRS to avoid paying taxes. The Chrisleys then submitted a false document to a grand jury that was investigating their crimes and then convinced friends and family members to tell lies while testifying under oath during their trial. Neither of them has shown any remorse, and they have instead blamed others for their own criminal conduct. That is all according to the prosecutors. They have three children. Um, I believe it was the the 16-year-old son who was just in a car accident. Um... And I think they've made arrangements for, uh, for like some of the uh, one of the older daughters to to watch the oldest son to be the the caregiver, the guardian, or whatever. Because the first the Christies were like, "Hey, could you stagger our terms? Like, while he's in prison, I'm not, and then I'll go to prison when he gets out." And the judge was like, "No, that's not happening." All right. After the news, we're going to talk to Congressman Patrick McHenry about FTX, SBF, Sam the Bank. Stick around. <laughs> 